It's F1's first triple header of the season. Can title leaders Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen withstand the expected Mercedes fight back? Hello and welcome to another F1 Strategy Report recap. My name's Michael Laminato and this is a preview of the 2021 French, Austrian and Styrian Grand Prix. For Heeltread.com, socks inspired by iconic cars. Use the code word STRATEGY for 10% off. Let's take a look back at the previous French Grand Prix from 2019. Our last visit to Paul Ricard was a real low light for competitiveness that season. In the hot weather of southern France, the tyres required substantial management just to be kept alive, effectively neutralising the Grand Prix from the off. Mercedes was in a class of its own and Lewis Hamilton in a class of one. The eventual world champion led every lap to record a victory that set the tone for yet another title-winning season. Tyre strategy was almost uniform. You either qualified on the mediums and switched to the hards, or you started outside the top 10 and did the opposite. Two unfortunate drivers qualified in the top 10 on softs, and neither scored points as a result. One of them, a downward spiralling Pierre Gasly at Red Bull Racing. I caught up post-race, if you could call it that, with F1 freelancer and now host of Australian Grand Prix podcast, In the Fast Lane, Matt Clayton. Let's start, well, pretty much from the beginning and the overriding theme of this Grand Prix. And look, we talk about them a lot on this show. I don't want to give too much emphasis to them, but it really was the tyres. Or let's say, let's be a little bit kind and say the weather. Who'd have thought that this time of year in the south of France would be particularly summery as it was? It was warm, uh, not only in terms of weather, but the track temperatures were really quite hot, almost Malaysia-esque, reaching 60 degrees and that really limited the amount of strategic variation this race made one tyre pretty much completely unusable and dictated a, a, pl- a pretty slow Grand Prix overall. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? You think of Paul Ricardo being as somewhere it could be as hot as Sepang, mm. but uh, certainly not something we would have thought. Always warm there at this time of year, but uh, even more extreme, mid-50s track temperatures. That's just not something we see in the European summer. So as you said, it's a, it's a difficult track anyway, and I think the extreme temperatures and the fact that one of the three compounds, as we will see when we discuss who started on that soft tyre later on in the race was basically unusable. I think the other factor as well was that the surface was a bit of a patchwork this year, and uh, Mario Vasola said early in the weekend there's almost three distinct surfaces on that track now. There's been a bit of patching up done after some GT racing there. It was obviously a completely new surface last year, and I think the the surface changes did cause a lot of graining, particularly on that softer tyre, so that made that reasonably unusable and I think the other limiting factor at this circuit and thank goodness they fixed up the pit lane entry Mm. and exit compared to last year because I spent most of last year's pit stops watching with my hands over my eyes waiting (laughs) for the impact but it was slightly safer but it's such a narrow slow pit lane that doing a two-stopper realistically for reasons other than trying to set a faster slap which we'll discuss later but uh, doing a two-stopper was completely off the table so Lewis Hamilton flagged it on Friday he said there's going to be a lot of lift and coast in this race which is a not something exactly sets the pulse racing but um, the combination of you know perhaps a changing track surface the extreme heat and that really narrow pit lane where there's a heavy time loss for making more than one stop uh, all pointed us in the direction of the race we eventually got exactly right and considering that given the temperatures even the hard and the medium tires was experiencing a great deal of wear meant that one stop was requiring a great deal of management. It wasn't simply a use the hardest tyre and have a go. Uh, interesting as well with this circuit, it's almost the second test venue, essentially, we're racing on. We complain a lot when we get to the Spanish Grand Prix, not only that the teams know everything about that track, but because it's such a, 
a trying track for the cars, we tend not to get particularly action-packed races. A similar effect here, because Paul Ricard pretty much is a glorified test venue. There are about a hundred different configurations, and hey, maybe they should consider using a different one in the future. But it meant that the, the, the technicality of the circuit didn't really lend itself to good racing in the first place. No, that's right. I think the Barcelona comparison is very valid. I think we're probably a little more cynical and more used to Barcelona because we see it year on year. Mm. It's a great circuit to test the capabilities of a car. I don't think there's any doubt about that in terms of the degree of the types of corners and uh, you know straights versus... You know, the last section is a terrific section with those couple of great corners at turns 10, 11 and 12. But does it produce great racing? Barcelona always strikes me, and if you speak to a lot of the drivers, it's a great track to drive, which mm. is fine for the 20 guys that are driving it. But in terms of a, a spectacle and in terms of strategic variance, there's not a lot that Barcelona throws up. And uh, Paul Ricard is the uh, is the new Barcelona, or perhaps the old Barcelona. I'm not <laughs> sure which one came first, but uh, both both of them end up in the same uh, in the same vein of races. And uh, well, two of the eight Grand Prix this year have had a very very similar feel to them at these two tracks. Just to emphasise as well that given there were so few opportunities in this race for much to pan out strategically, a lot of this came down. Given we only had one pit stop per car for the most part, uh, the pit stops themselves did play a role. We talk about the battle between Gasly and Ricardo towards the start of the race, despite Gasly starting on the soft tie was very much uh, in the competition for that position Ricardo uh, attempted the undercut on him having followed him for a while it wasn't successful at least at first he did manage to pass him on the track uh, one lap later but because uh, Renault and perhaps this is something a team aiming to rebuild a championship contention has to build on uh, put through a pit stop that was 1.4 seconds slower uh, than Red Bull Racing in fact Christian Horner seemed quite upset after the race that his team did such a good job and still lost the position but it shows that when you're operating amongst the pointy end even of the midfield that everything really has to be perfect to try and get a result absolutely and we've seen this with Red Bull time and time again their pit stops are incredibly good and uh, you know it has been it's been a, uh, a trend of theirs that's elevated them to podiums perhaps they shouldn't have got in previous seasons when they were down on engine power so certainly the in the pits and strategically they did their job but uh, I think Daniel Ricciardo knew that he had the one chance to ambush Gasly uh, when the uh, when the undercut didn't work but uh, yeah, look, I think Red Bull's doing their job in the pits. Renault still trying to iron out some of the the bugs that come with transitioning from a, a bona fide midfield team into a team that can uh, fight further up the field. So look, Red Bull in the pits did their job, but uh, the driver not so much. Yeah, and so much so. And to, to cap off the, the talk about Pierre Gasly, I suppose, and I'm sure there'll be plenty over the coming weeks, possibly even the whole season, is that from that point on, on the hard tyre, didn't really have the pace that Daniel did and, and dropped off so much so that Raikkonen and Hulkenberg as we talked about earlier, with the advantage of those medium tyres at the end. And having run pretty competitive stints on the hard tyre, we're able to slot into the gap between Daniel and Pierre uh, and finished between them, with Lando Norris in the mix as well, having suffered that hydraulic problem. So everything really compounded for Pierre in this race. Uh, the, the key seemed to be at least, if you want to dissect this race in particular, a lack of pace on that hard tyre because the soft tyre management was not so bad at the start of the race. But Plenty for him to work on, I suppose, and plenty for Red Bull Racing to address in the space of only a week before their home Grand Prix. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you could go back a, a phase further than that and the decision to run him on soft tyres in Q2 on mm-hmm. Saturday condemned him to being a bit of a sitting duck. I mean, there were some indications that they thought the soft tyre runners would be in as early as lap six. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't quite as early as that, but... Uh, 
it was pretty clear that, uh, well, the fact that nobody outside the top 10 even bothered <laughs> with the soft uh, and, you know, G- Giovinazzi and, and Gasly were really on their back foot from before the race started. The uh, the only good news, I guess, for Pierre Gasly is that it was even worse for Antonio Giovinazzi <laughs> because he ended up finishing in 16th place. On to Austria now, and the 2020 season started with two rounds at the Red Bull Ring. The first was entertainingly chaotic, but blighted by rustiness and unreliability after the long COVID suspension. But the second was interesting and more illuminating of the year to come. The Mercedes cars, with Hamilton in the lead after a magic qualifying lap in the wet, were dominant out front. Though Max Verstappen tried to get amongst them in the battle for the podium, the lack of a quick backup in Alex Albon hindered him, allowing Bottas to overcut him for second place. It seemed an odd result for the tie, at least at the time, considering he'd almost won at the same track just one weekend earlier. But even small differences were preventing an exact replica across both rounds. I caught up afterwards with ESPN's Lawrence Edmondson to debrief the historic first, but clearly not the last, doubleheader Grand Prix. Formula One has never had this configuration of races before two back-to-backs at the same circuit never mind two championship races at the same circuit in a in a single season and you know i'm still a little bit cynical that the double ups we're going to get later in the year will give us two races sort of as interesting and entertaining as this i think i feel like we got a little bit lucky but there were still um let's say continuities between the two races teams were still able to learn things across the two Grand Prix. Uh, and I guess we kind of really saw that, particularly with the tyres, wasn't it? That was one of the key things teams took from the first weekend to next to try and build ideas for this second Grand Prix. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, most teams will say at the end of a weekend, oh, well, if we could go and do it again, we'd do it entirely different, <laughs> and we would have not made that mistake and all this sort of stuff. So now it was a chance to prove it. Um, and uh, I, I think there was some fairly big differences between the two. It was much hotter uh, the previous weekend. And then we had a massive rainstorm on Saturday. So, of course, qualifying was wet, but it also meant that the track changed a bit. And so um, I think the teams found that maybe the tyres didn't act in quite the same way as they expected. Um, we didn't hear much from Lewis, but he did still manage to get one moaning about the tyres uh, where he said they feel feel very, very different to, to last week. So um, I think a few teams were still learning a little bit as they went. And, you know, that, I think that is good if we are going to have to do some more doubled up races. The thing is, if you've got a good racetrack, um, then having a second race there isn't the end of the world, especially when it's in a part of the world where um, you've got changing weather and, uh, and you know, every, all these little things kind of move around and change. But um, I'm, I'm kind of glad we're not going there for a third race in a row. Uh, you know, I think, I think that, that would have been overkill and I don't know what they would have called it. Mercedes sort of found a bit of a sweet spot this weekend compared to last week. I mean, it's set up by Lewis Hamilton's phenomenal qualifying lap 1.2 second margin over max verstappen and max obviously very good in the rain underlined a i guess how competent that car is but also how good uh, form hamilton finds himself in this in this weekend uh not much really to talk about about hamilton's race per se because he was fairly comfortably out in in the lead out front uh, but there was a little bit of interplay with Max Verstappen. He was second. He started second, held that position for the first stint of the race, for most of the race, in fact. But ultimately, Mercedes had this numerical advantage with Valtteri Bottas in third. Uh, when both cars started to push, you could see Verstappen being squeezed between them, being sandwiched. And fairly quickly, Red Bull Racing went from, if they had any idea of being, let's say, progressive in their strategy, had to become defensive and had to cover off Valtteri Bottas with an early stop. We mentioned it earlier that Albon was way off the pace, but I guess this really illustrates, in much the same way Pierre Gasly did roughly this time last year, 
how important that second driver can be. Not everyone likes to hear about drivers playing a, a second driver role, but um, Bottas sort of did in this race. He didn't have to go out of his way to do it, but he certainly did in terms of distracting Verstappen. He really needed someone to, to try and play into that and maybe distract Hamilton in this sense. Yeah, so um, it, it was interesting one, wasn't it? Because Verstappen, after his pit stop, was complaining about, you know, why did we pit? Like, you know, Lewis has just kind of got a free pit stop now and, and gone on to fresher tyres. And then they had to remind him that actually, Max, you're, you're not racing Hamilton. You're racing Valtteri behind you. And um, and that all kind of came about. I think Mercedes, uh, they, they were looking to undercut if, if they could. Um, but the gap they were looking for to Verstappen and able to do that was 1.4 seconds. And, uh, and they felt that that would be enough to move on to the mediums and leapfrog Verstappen. And then they were pretty confident they could hold that. Um, but Red Bull kind of countered that uh, when I think it was the gap was around 1.8 seconds and uh, and brought Verstappen in so that he wasn't immediately undercut. They knew it was going to create a difficult situ- situation at the end of the race, but hey, there's lots of things that can happen. But yeah, to get to, to, to your point is if Albon had been closer and had been able to undercut Bottas, then Bottas wouldn't have been able to do that long run um, you know, into, uh, in, into lap 34, which gave him a 10 lap advantage over Max. And uh, ultimately, given the pace difference in the cars uh that's what gave Bottas that position by by the end of the race but um but yeah it, it, was, it was well worked by Mercedes but you're right um if Red Bull had a second car there they would have had more options to try and uh you know put Bottas under a bit of pressure rather than allow him to basically take checkmate wasn't it by, by going those extra 10 laps and having the uh, the fresher tires at the end to attack Verstappen not to say that Verstappen didn't put up a great fight against him uh, you know he didn't make it easy but um, it was always going that way and even Max admitted that afterwards he was like well you know I, I kept him at bay for one lap but I knew the next lap that he would get passed against so um, but you know that, that there's a number of things there you know and fundamentally the, the thing that it comes down to is that the Red Bull isn't isn't quite quick enough or wasn't quite quick enough on Sunday uh, to fight Mercedes in a in a straight fight Albon's lack of pace compared to Verstappen was was so dramatic that it did potentially have an impact on this race. Yeah, that's right. Um, he, you know, and that gets him into Gasly territory. That was one of the reasons mm. that Red Bull was so upset with Gasly last year and, uh, and Albon took his place. I think Albon is, um, is already operates on a higher level than Gasly. But yeah, that gap was, was very strange to me. And um, I actually joined Christian Horner's Zoom call a little bit late, so I missed the very first answer. But um, all, all I heard of, um, from Horner was that, uh, you know, that they need to work with Alex to to find better pace on heavy fuel. So it didn't sound like there was an immediate issue. It sounded, you know, like there was, there was something else. So I don't know. I, I hope I'm being a bit harsh on, on Alex and there was a very good reason and uh, he'll, he'll, he'll prove me wrong in, in the next few races. But yeah, that was a bit disappointing after such a promising opening race. Fast forward to the upcoming 2021 French Grand Prix and you'd have to say a lot of the conditions of the previous race are set to be replicated. Pirelli has brought the same tyres, C2 to C4, the middle of the range, and the forecast is for similarly warm and sunny weather of around 30 degrees Celsius. What we do have, though, is a dramatically different competitive picture relative to 2019, with Mercedes and Red Bull Racing locked in a close title fight. But this is a Mercedes track from what we've seen so far this season. Its street circuit troubles, born of poor and uneven tyre warm-up, won't be an issue here. This track is all about lateral forces, which will spread the warmth evenly, The nature of the corners, high speed, more sweeping, will also suit the Mercedes. All things considered, Paul Ricard is similar in demand to Barcelona-Catalunya, and that was by far Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton's most convincing weekend of the season. 
Then, looking ahead to the Red Bull ring, and though Red Bull Racing has a decent hit rate at its home circuit, it again has characteristics favourable to the Mercedes car. That said, the former Oosterreich ring is far less damaging for the tyres, whereas the potential for short tyre life in France will advantage the Mercedes and its easygoing nature on the Pirellis, Austria will be a more neutral venue on this front. A potential bonus for the Bulls is that the Spielberg track is very demanding on energy recovery given the few heavy braking zones to recharge the battery, and the Honda power unit has shown itself to be at least a match for Mercedes in this regard in previous rounds. Plus the Japanese manufacturer has a new power unit up its sleeve still to use in the next few rounds. So who'll come out on top at the end of our first triple header of the year? I'll be back next week to debrief all the action from France. Until then, you can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter for our regular pre-race strategy guides. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you next week to wrap up the French Grand Prix.